So as I said before, it's great to be with you on this frigid morning. Um, it seems with this wind that if I keep this shoulder in a little, the mic doesn't pick it up, so it's nothing personal. If I stand a little bit more like this and talk to them today, it's great to see your faces while we do this as well, instead of just a camera um, and looking through it into your living rooms. It's great to be with you in more than just spirit today. This morning, as we come to listen to God, we're going to begin a whole new series on the book of Revelation together. And I have to admit to some fear and trembling a little more than usual as we step into this book together. It's intimidating in a lot of ways. The imagery is wild and vivid and for some frightening. Most people have some degree of familiarity with this book, even if it's from something like the Left Behind books or movies that were popular a couple decades ago. But a lot of people I've talked to, no matter the amount of familiarity they have, don't exactly know what to do with this book. For some, it's difficult and frightening. For others, it's just strange. And so placed off to the side and left there. And that's actually one of the reasons I want to look at the book together. Because I believe all of Scripture is God's word to us, to encourage us and to build us up. And so if there's a book we're scared to open, that means we're missing something that God wants to say to us and do in us. Eugene Peterson wrote a book on Revelation called Reversed Thunder. And in that book, he said that the book of Revelation has nothing new in it. There's nothing that hasn't already been said somewhere in Scripture. But what John is doing is spinning it all together in a new and vivid way in order to enliven the imagination of our faith, to open the eyes of our hearts, to wake us up again and breathe life into our faith. As I've spent the last few weeks spending a lot of time in the book of Revelation, I can say that I believe that's true. And I really want to be able to share that experience with you in the weeks to come. In this desperate season we're in together, as we're facing down a global pandemic, political polarization, a contentious election cycle, the boiling over of a history of racial and socioeconomic injustices, and the anxiety that goes along with all of that, let alone the rest of what's going on in our lives. I think we desperately need our faith renewed. We need our eyes opened to the first and the last and the living one who sits on the throne, whose kingdom is coming, and whose will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Revelation is a book that can do that for us. And so, I want to get started. Are you ready? Yeah? All right, let's pray. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus Christ our single concern. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book we love. A revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Christ made it known by sending it through his angel to his servant John, 
who was a witness to the Word of God and to the witness of Jesus Christ and everything that he saw. Favored are those who read these words out loud. And favored are those who listen to them being read, who keep what is written in them, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is and was and is coming, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, who made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be all glory and power forever and always. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. This is so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is coming, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, who shares with you in the hardship, kingdom, and endurance that we have in Jesus Christ, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and my witness to Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when I heard a voice behind me that sounded like a trumpet. And it said, Write down on a scroll whatever you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea, and Philadelphia. I turned to see who was speaking to me. And as I turned, I saw seven oil lamps burning on top seven gold stands. And in the midst of the lampstand stood one like the Son of Man, who wore a robe that stretched down to his feet with a gold sash across his chest whose head and hair were white as white wool, white as snow, and whose voice was like rushing water. His feet were like fine brass, purified in a furnace. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. His appearance was like the sun shining in all its power. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But he reached out his right hand and touched me and said to me, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead. But look, I am alive forever and always, and I hold the keys to death and the grave. Write down, therefore, everything you see, both the scene now before you and the things that will unfold after this. 
As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, and the seven gold lampstands, this is what they mean. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven gold lampstands are the seven churches. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen indeed. That wasn't so bad, was it? It's a good, good way to begin, at least. Well, John tells us right off the bat what kind of book this is going to be. The book of Revelation starts with a long introduction. It's actually three chapters, all of introduction. And in this first one, John is helpful in showing us the starting place. There's a lot that's going to happen after this, but John tells us from the beginning what sort of journey we're on. And so as we begin this series, it'd be wise of us to pay attention. This morning, we're going to answer some of the basic questions as we get started. And here's the first one. What kind of book is this? What is this book called Revelation? What is this thing we're going to be reading and studying together? Well, John tells us in the first words, a revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation. If you were to look at an older translation into English, uh, it'd have the word there, apocalypse. An apocalypse of Jesus Christ. That's a word we know. Though as we think apocalypse, as we think of, what, zombies, asteroids crashing into Earth, maybe pandemics, we think of the end of the world, and we think of those things because of the book of Revelation. But when John wrote this book, the book didn't exist yet. And that's not what the word apocalypse meant. Apocalypse is from a Greek word, and it means simply an unveiling to show that which has been hidden, to take it out of hiding. The translation, the title of the book is a good one. Revelation, to reveal. So what's being revealed in this book? Well, it says a revelation of Jesus Christ. There's two ways you can hear that. And I think John wants us to hear both. I believe this book is both Jesus showing us something hidden, the revelation which Jesus does, and also I think there's something about Jesus that's being revealed to us throughout this book. This book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we lose sight of that in reading it, this book can begin to go off the rails and get a little frightening at times. So as we read on, we need to remember that whatever comes in this book, its purpose is to reveal Jesus to us. But the book isn't just an apocalypse. John tells us more in the opening. It's not just an unveiling. It's also a letter. This fact is often lost to many who read it, but it's a letter from John. He says right from the beginning, there's some debate about who this John is, but through the history of the church, there's largely been consensus that it's the beloved disciple of Jesus, the one who wrote the gospel of John. John, who was a pastor, who was a poet, who was a theologian and a prophet, 
John is writing down this vision that Jesus is giving him through an angel, writing it on a scroll and sending it to seven churches. Seven actual churches in the province of Asia, modern-day Turkey, to actual Christians whose practice it would have been like it is ours to gather every Lord's Day, every Sunday. They would have gathered in one another's homes as small, fledgling churches still. They would have gathered to sing songs, to read the scriptures, which for them was the Old Testament, to share letters like this one that were sent around from early Christian leaders, the letters that become our New Testament. And from time to time, a prophet like John would have come around and shared God's word with them in the midst of that worship service. They would have celebrated a meal together, culminating in communion. John is writing a letter to these churches, writing God's word to them in the midst of their local struggles, in the midst of their local questions. And it's clear from the opening that John meant for these words to be read aloud and listened to. And what's clear from the first few centuries is that these words were. They were spread and shared wider and wider and wider, which is why they come to us in the New Testament. Which means there must have been something very meaningful that they found in these words. They must have heard God's voice speaking to them to copy it down and pass it along. And yet the way some Christians read the book of Revelation makes it into a secret code book for deciphering the future end of the world. A code book that's understood largely to refer to events happening now in the world. But if that's so, those first, questions, those first Christians would have never understood it. They would, it would have been undecipherable for them and meant nothing. And there's no way, I think, they would have continued to pass it down. This is a letter to real churches that existed 2,000 years ago to face real and specific struggles, to answer real and pointed questions, a letter to address the situation of those people. So while it has much to still say to us now, the meaning we find in it must remain rooted in the meaning it would have had for them. This is a letter from John to real churches in the first century, facing real struggles. And it's meant to challenge and encourage them and now us. What kind of book is this? It's a revelation or an unveiling. And it's a letter. So the second question, if that's what sort of book this is, it's always good to know who's it from. Always good to know who a letter's from. I prefer the ancient tradition of putting the to and from right at the beginning of a letter to our strange tradition of putting the from all the way at the bottom. And if you were to send me a letter, I would actually cheat and look at who it's from before I even read it because that matters, right? Well, this letter is from John, it says. From John to the seven churches in Asia. John was known to those churches as a prophet and a pastor as a brother in Christ who likely had visited them in worship many, many times to work alongside them for the gospel. These churches would have received this letter from John with joy and with reverence. 
as a letter from one who had authority to speak God's word, and it would have been received as such. But while John is the one who wrote these words on a scroll, the vision itself isn't from John. John didn't dream all of this up himself. The book is clear, the vision is from Jesus. Not only is Jesus the one who stands behind John speaking to him with a voice like a trumpet, but it's Christ who makes these things known through his angel to John so that he can write them down and share them with us. It's a vision from Jesus. We'll say more about how we receive this letter in a little bit, but knowing these words are from the Lord Jesus will shape how we receive them. We need not fear, but receive these words with joy, knowing that the one who shares them is the Lord of grace and love. But if you are listening really carefully, you'll know that actually the vision doesn't originate with Jesus. If you're listening really carefully, you know it came from someone else. The book begins this way. A revelation of Jesus, which God gave him to show to his servants what must soon take place. This is a revelation which God gave Jesus to make known through an angel to John to write on a scroll to send to seven churches that copied it and shared it and passed it along to us, which means this is the word of God for you now this morning. Which brings us to that last question. What are we supposed to do with this? That's the question I think I've heard most people asking when I've told them we're going to talk about Revelation. What am I supposed to do with that book? How are we supposed to receive this? Well, John gives us some good answers right away in chapter 1. How should we receive it? John seems pretty clear. He thinks we should receive it by reading it aloud and listening to it. Did you hear the blessing John spoke on you this morning? He said, I think in verse 3, favored is the one who reads these words out loud. That's me this morning. And favored are those who listen to it being read and keep what is written in it for the time is near. That's you, at least hopefully, if you listened well and plan to keep it. This is the word of the Lord for us. And there's something about these words being read aloud and listened to that's key. And I don't just think it's because paper and books were expensive and inaccessible to most people in the first century, and this was the only way the words could be shared with others. I think something happens when the word of God is spoken aloud and heard. It's not just a practical concern that leads Paul to say in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing. When the word is spoken, it is breathed into life. Taking these words on our lips, we incarnate them. We lend our flesh to give them life and speak them to others. We become witnesses of them and through them. And this is one of John's main concerns throughout the whole book, that we become witnesses of Jesus, the faithful witness, that we take these words into us, allow them to do their work in us, and then speak them back, having enlivened them by our lives and our witness. 
These words become real and alive when we speak them aloud and hear them. This is why I want to get back to the habit of memorizing and reciting Scripture as we go through this series. Because something happens when we allow the Word into us and then offer it to others. There's one more thing, though, about how to receive this book that I think is really important this morning and in the weeks to come. I think many times we receive the words of this book like John received the vision of Jesus. He turns and sees Jesus and falls on his face like a dead man. Many of us encounter these words with fear and trembling, in great awe. But notice how Jesus responds when John falls like a dead man on the ground. Jesus bends down, reaches out his right hand, the same one that was holding the angels of the seven churches, and he touches John and says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because the risen and ascended, exalted Christ is here. Don't be afraid, says John. Says the one that John describes here with language he borrows from the Old Testament. It's from Daniel chapter 7. John describes Jesus borrowing Daniel's description of one like the Son of Man. In Daniel's vision, that's the one who's caught up in the clouds, who's presented to the Almighty Judge, the Lord God, the Ancient of Days, and is found worthy, and so is handed dominion over every kingdom, nation, and tribe across the face of the earth, and will now establish a kingdom to rule over and reign it forever. John describes Jesus as this one, one like the Son of Man. But John bends the vision of Daniel 7 as well to say that Jesus is not just the Son of Man. He's also that Ancient of Days. He's also the God who sits upon the throne as judge over all things. The one who sets the foundations of the earth and rules over it with power and justice, bestowing dominion now upon the church that is his body. It's to his witnesses who have heard the word of the Lord, who've eaten his body and blood, and who now offer their witness, not just by speaking the word, but by offering their body and blood too. It's this Jesus who unveils himself and the truth of the world to John. And now to us. It's this one who says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and always, and I hold the keys to death and the grave. It's this Lord who stands in the midst of the churches. It's this Lord who bends down to touch us and to speak to us. It's this Lord who sits upon the throne ruling over all things. And if that's so, then we do have nothing to fear. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you for your word, your word that is Jesus Christ, your word in the scriptures that give witness to him, and for your word proclaimed and preached. We pray that your word would work its way deep into our hearts, that as we offer it now back, that it may be alive and active 
that your word may go out through us into the world, that your glory may be seen in us and in your kingdom, and may that kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.